Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strength to Strength. It's uh, great to get together this morning, and uh, today we have um, a presentation called Kingdom Opportunities, and we did the same uh, or a similar presentation back in January, where we had four brothers from different parts of the world come together on Strength to Strength to share, and we're doing something similar today. Uh, we have five brothers that will be sharing this morning, so um, yeah, very happy to have everyone here this morning, and um, I think we'll get started. So we're going to begin with a, a word of prayer, and then I will uh, introduce who will be speaking, and we'll go from there. So yeah, let's uh, let's begin. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your blessings. Thank you for this uh, privilege of coming together in this way. Lord, we um, know that the the field is yours, the the crop is yours, the fruit is yours, and we just want to be uh, laborers in your vineyard. And so that's why we come together here to uh, see how we can support each other, how we can further your cause. And we just uh, pray that this would be a blessing to the to the ministries that are um, sharing and also a blessing to each of us as we find ways that we can contribute to uh, to those who are um, very actively involved in, in your work. So, Lord, I just pray that this may be to the furtherance of your kingdom. We want to see your kingdom grow and expand in the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, we're going to get started here with uh, James Yoder. James is um, joining us from Ohio and is working with uh, Christian Aid Ministries. So, James, good to have you with us this morning. Thank you, Glenn. Yes, it's good to be with all of you this morning and a, a privilege uh, to be a part of this and be asked to um, speak here. Appreciate it. And yes, I'm, uh, as was mentioned, part of Christian Aid Ministries now for about 15 years, five years overseas and 10 years at the home office here in Berlin, Ohio. And uh, I'm married and have seven children and we attend the uh, Salem Amish Mennonite Church in Bakersville, Ohio. <clears throat> uh, I hope you can all see that. That's great. Good. All right. I'd like to speak about our biblical discipleship centers uh, this morning. In particularly, um, Biblical Discipleship Centers uh, was a program that was started some uh, about 10 years ago in Haiti with the vision being having been probably 25 or 30 years before that. And um, it is a program that um, trains pastors in, can I say, the all things, you know, one of the um, best known scriptures probably is is that of Matthew chapter 28 Jesus words go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and um, the thought behind this program um, years ago was to uh, train pastors that would then uh, take the all things of the scriptures out uh, to their home communities where they live and teach others there, teach their churches. Many of the um, churches abroad seem to be shallow, what we often say a mile wide and an inch thick. 
but um, that's what that's what the vision was uh, behind this. We started the program also in Nicaragua and in Liberia about um, three to four years ago. It was about two years ago. It's been over two years now that that um, some of our I was in Kenya with our staff there, and we were talking about uh, the various challenges, uh, corruption that we had. We were doing a lot of aid programs. We had supported um, AMA or Amish Mennonite Aid and uh, their work there in Kenya in the um, distribution of food and helping orphans and so forth. Some of the things we were just dealing with were corruption and dependency issues, and and it seemed like we were being taken advantage of at every side. And felt like we need to get to the core of some of these things and work on more discipleship than just aid things. And so at that point in time, it was decided that we would try to begin a biblical discipleship center for Kenya. And um, I committed myself to looking for a staff person or administrator to lead this out. Well, that's uh, what I'm still looking for over two years later. And uh, part of the reason for this presentation to introduce this program and then share the need for a staff member to begin this work. It's hard to get, get a, a, a program going if you don't have anybody to lead it out. So the purpose of um, the program is to teach sound biblical doctrine to pastors and potential uh, church leaders with the goal of training them and discipling them in doctrine, holiness of life, purity of life, so that they can uh, become solid spiritual leaders who are effective in, in teaching and uh, discipling administrative roles in their local church. And the structure, uh, we think that's done best in structure. Develop a pastor and a student as a student is in a structured environment uh, where there's disciplined learning. And um, we do that through uh, scheduled class times and even free times that are uh, scheduled. The curriculum that is used in the program is uh, one that we had various writers write over the years. It was first written for, for Haiti and then translated um, into uh, working on Spanish at the present. And uh, while we uh, combined, uh, compiled things and put things together, um, most of this was written by, by writers, uh, teachers that were used in Haiti and so forth. Uh, it starts out with the biblical foundation and goes on to the second series of new life and morality, spiritual warfare, then biblical family living, uh, Bible doctrines, and finally ends up with uh, biblical church leadership. Um, each one of these, what we call series, is simply a book, about three three quarters of an inch thick, ring, ring binder type of book. <clears throat> each of the lessons has each of the um, books has 42 lessons and uh, each series or each book lasts about three weeks uh, to go through. 
and pastors uh, come for these three weeks from their home communities. Um, they stay for a week and they're welcome to go home on weekends so that they can uh, go home and preach and teach uh, in their home churches. <clears throat> Usually they're about three sessions a day. Uh, so three weeks times five days a week is 15 times three is 45, but there's 42 lessons in a, in a book uh, that leaves time for um, discussion, homework, and there's also testing. <clears throat> the students are required to attend all 42 lessons in a series in order to receive a certificate of attendance for that series. Um, as was mentioned, there's a final, uh, there's homework with each uh, lesson and then a final test at the end of each series. And there are two manuals, one for the teacher, one for the student. The teacher's manual has the um, answers to the homework and the questions. Many pastors come thinking they're going to learn a lot about the scriptures and, and um, truly they do, or they think they already know uh, a lot. Um, and, and they do know a lot. Many are, are smarter than, than many of us. They've spent a lot of time in God's word. Uh, but when they come and really get into it and the sharing and, and the, can I say the camaraderie, uh, reminds me of times when <clears throat> I was in a good group, either in Bible school or in some kind of, uh, group, men's group, whatever it was. And you, they find out that the, the word of God isn't just a head knowledge. It's a, it's a double-edged sword that cuts to their own heart and, um, they begin to share, and they many of them begin to spill out the the sins that they've been living in, um, covering up for years, uh, and so forth. It's a, it's a real real blessing. Uh, it can be in class time or after class time. Class time can become a debate, a time of debate, as they uh, speak about whether it is you know political involvement or whether you should serve in the armed forces and, and defend Christianity and all those things become uh, issues of debate. But it can also be a time of deep sorrow in the classroom and, and uh, falling down. Uh, many stories of those who just simply fall down and say and, and repent from their sins. <clears throat> There's a also each lesson is has a discussion time built into the end for um, students to just um, their discussion questions that are are to lead the students into thinking about what was taught. There's also a structured evening Bible study and singing times, question and answer times with a solid brother, uh, a dean of men, or it could be a a house parent that's that's also there. And these can really lead into very rewarding, um, you know, after class times times to share. So the BBC administrator or the person that leads out this is what we're looking for. An administrator should be a conservative American from Anabaptist or from one of Anabaptist circles who is either ordained or commissioned uh, for the work of teaching this Bible doctrine. Should be one that enjoys um, administrative work and working closely with nationals and able to explain the scriptures and, and teach Bible truths, live it out, comfortable in leadership roles and uh, classroom, uh, working with other teachers, even from the U.S. Uh, that may get sent in to teach. 
And um, as I said, there's three, basically three lessons a day. It's too heavy for one teacher. So um, American, uh, the American teachers can come in or you can look through local national teachers as well. Um, I speak on that a little bit later here. <clears throat> Some of the uh, things on his job description uh, outside of administrating the program would be uh, promoting the Biblical Discipleship Center program to native pastors. I got, got to find people interested in coming to the class. So uh, sometimes it means uh, going out to conferences or uh, other pastor retreats, local uh, Pentecostal, apostolic groups, so forth, uh, inviting pastors to the, um, the uh, center. Tracking applications and communicating with the applicants, uh, scheduling seminars, and then the seminar activities, um, which would be really the classes it's talking about here, giving uh, orientation, teaching as needed, um, giving their homework, test scores, preparing and giving certificates, uh, it's overseeing the, the evening and afternoon activities of the students, um, and uh, keeping uh, some financial records as well, simply their, their tuition payments and uh, there's some reimbursement of transportation and, and so forth. <clears throat> also testimonies, uh, working with the, the home office in capturing uh, the blessings behind it. And uh, that's, that's good for supporters to hear. It's good for, for um, us to hear as, as management as well. <clears throat> The BDC administrator also um, hires local um, workers, a lot of staff, uh, cooks, cleaning ladies, so forth, to um, keep the, the dorms uh, clean and, and uh, keep our uh, stomachs well fed, that type of thing. Um, and then also it's we would have a dean of men or uh, a uh, could be a single fellow or someone living close by as a house parent to monitor these men evenings. And so um, <clears throat> that's, that's important to be able to, to relate with, with locals in that way. There's also, I mentioned American teachers that gets, uh, we would send over um, the home office here um, helps find those teachers, but it's a, a partnership effort with a person on the field uh, with ideas of who could come might be able to come and help uh, teach in these classes. Local men, nationals that uh, teach are, are also, that we're also open to that, but they we require that they attend all six sessions before they're eligible to teach. So that we can know whether they're sincere, whether their life demonstrates um, godliness and uh, kingdom living uh, all the time, every day. And um, finding sincere men that are non-resistant, understand separation of church and state, can humbly lead, work alongside uh, um, an American uh, without uh, becoming proud of their position or um, think um, struggling with that, uh, becoming in favor with the white man, that type of approach uh, can be can be a challenge. But we are blessed, have been blessed with with many who who. Um, who are a part uh, of, of the teaching. At the, um, the close of um, each series, uh, there's a um, certificate given 
And after the end of the sixth series is a graduation. And this is a time of, um, yeah, it's a celebration, but it's also a time that we try to enforce structure. Many graduations, um, foreign cultures are time of, of revelry, human achievement. We try to keep this a time of um, respect, respect uh, for God and, and have attire and actions that demonstrate godliness and reverence. <clears throat> not that it's not a time of joy, but it's a time of, of uh, can I say, inner joy for many who now understand Jesus Christ and, and what it means to live it in their life, kingdom living here and portraying what it means uh, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ day-to-day -day life. <clears throat> Some comments from uh, those that have attended the BDCs in Haiti and Nicaragua. Uh, I'm hearing things I had not heard before. I'm happy we can share this time to sit and discuss, together discuss God's word. We have heard the truth, and now we have a responsibility to preach the truth. And what I really like, the time spent here has been like a refuge for me. I feel like the spirit of the Lord is here in a way that is not at my home. And I think that, that comment uh, often wraps it up as well. It's a little sanctuary place for these men to go to really get the heart right with God. <clears throat> if you or anyone you know has interest in serving uh, with Cam in this position, uh, please let us know. Um, you can reach us at uh, Cam. Web at camoh.org. I believe my bio also has uh, access to our website. You can reach us uh, via our website as well. Uh, a couple links there that take on my bio that take you to our website. And um, you can uh, contact us that way as well. So I think I'm through. All right. Thank you, James, for sharing. So um, as we heard, there's an opportunity to uh, help this uh, effort in, in Kenya. We're gonna have an opportunity at the end for Q&A, which would be for any of the speakers. So um, again, if you have any questions, uh, just uh, be prepared then to, to offer those. And um, we're going to move on to the next uh, speaker here. Uh, again, thank you, James, and uh, stick by for the, for the Q&A at the end. So Leon Smith uh, is joining us from Wisconsin. Uh, Leon has been on here in January. Uh, with ARC, uh, that's Anabaptist Refugee Committee, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Leon. Morning. Good to Thank have you. you. Go ahead. Good to be here this morning. I'm going to share my screen here with you. Okay, how's that coming through? That's great. Okay, my name is Leon. I'm from Wisconsin, Sheldon, Wisconsin area. We're married. I'm married. We have seven children, and we are part of the uh, Shadow Mennonite Church here. We started the ARC ministry work last, almost a year ago. It's a year ago now that the Afghan refugees, the American army pulled out of Afghanistan and the refugees came across. Esther 414 has been our theme verse. There's a lot in there that I don't have time to unpack this morning. We know the story. This is when Mordecai told Esther, he said, if you hold your peace for this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to Jews from another place. Thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? The challenge I would like to leave from there this morning is God has placed each one of us here in this time, in this place for a purpose. 
what are we doing with this privilege? Do we are we filling the purpose God has given to us? We have an E4 vision that we have taken from Esther 4. Equipping Anabaptists to engage with diverse cultures, creating enduring relationships that ultimately express the love of Jesus. That is our goal here at Ark Ministry. How are we doing this? <clears throat> when I was on with you in January, we were working in Fort McCoy. There was 13,000 refugees held at Fort McCoy in Toma, Wisconsin, which is about two and a half hours from where I live. And we were sending teams of volunteers in to, to work among them just throughout the day, spending time with them. And while we were strictly prohibited from proselytizing, handing out any literature there in Port McCoy, we had many, many opportunities to pray with these people. We heard many, many sad stories. Many of them have seen family members and friends shot, killed by the Taliban. There are many incomplete homes. Maybe dad got on the plane, but mom didn't. Maybe they were on the way to the airport and in the crowds got separated, never to find their family again. So we hear many sad stories there in Fort McCoy. We heard many sad stories there in Fort McCoy. That shut down the end of January. By February 15, they had the refugees all moved out. But in the meantime, we had a call to come to Minneapolis by an Afghan man. He was in, he is in the U.S. Army. He's been here for quite a few years. And he's asked us, he said, can you come to Minneapolis? He said, we have a large Afghan community there and we need help. So after a number of meetings, we had some meetings and the question, the need that we heard brought over and over was we need English classes. They need English. They cannot get driver's license. They struggle to get driver's license. They struggle to get jobs without having English. So we are using English as a door to create and build relationships with the refugees. I'm, we don't have an exact count, but we're told that there's about 2,000 of the refugees that have moved to Minneapolis of the refugees that were just brought across in the last year. So in February of this year, we opened a center in Minneapolis for the refugees. We were teaching English to the men at the tea house. And I'll show a picture of what we call the tea house. Men come to the tea house for their class and our single ladies staff go to the apartments to teach the women and children. Um, we've had more work than we can handle, more opportunities than we can reach out to. We're looking, considering other services and ways to reach the refugees. Here's some of the things that we've been talking about. Um, sewing classes with the women, discipleship classes, kids clubs, summer Bible school programs, financial literacy, and salt program possibly. We've also considered a reading room library that we could staff maybe two evenings a week where they could come and um, drink tea and and read and talk they could borrow books and um just a place to to come and ask questions and continue to build those relationships so this is the tea house just a small house there in the middle of minneapolis that we have rented that's where the men come the bottom picture here is what we call the archive this is an apartment where our volunteers are staying 
in Minneapolis there. Here's a picture. Some, I'm going to show some pictures here of our classroom. Um, I won't make a lot of comments about them. This is a group of our students and some of our teachers here in the back. Um, this was one of our first teachers here. This picture down here is the beginning of our classroom, and I find it interesting because here the men are all sitting in chairs back away from the teacher a little ways. And hang on to that picture in your mind, this one here, where the men are sitting compared to where you'll see shortly. Here is a picture from in-home in -home tutoring. Um, this We are entering into their culture, sitting on the floor, holding their children, drinking chai and snack and a lot of good memories and um, friendships are being built. In the evening, we do some classes in the evening and some of the evenings there are ladies that come to the tea house. This bottom picture here would be from in the tea house of the Afghan ladies there. And this is building relationships. This picture here on the right is a very common scene for our volunteers to take the women shopping and Help them to learn how to shop at Target and Walmart and different places. And um, again, it gives opportunities to build relationships and have discussions. And uh, one day, some of our single staff had taken some of the Muslim Afghan ladies shopping. And a fellow shopper, somebody else that they met up with, made some snide remark about what are the Amish doing with the Muslims? So that was OK. That didn't really bother us. We consider it a privilege. Some more pictures. But this picture here at the top is a very common picture now. We sit around a table, the teachers and the students, having discussions and eating pizza and other things like that. These men on the bottom here, our English class, we have three levels of classes. Our beginner class has 60 lessons. And that's where most of our students are. Then we also have an intermediate. There's a few in that. And we do offer an advanced class, but we do not have any students in that yet. These four men here are holding their certificates. The beginner class has 60 lessons, and these men have completed that. So when they complete that, they get their certificate. Some of these men know almost no English. And some of them you can communicate whenever they come to our class. And some of them you can communicate with. So it's a challenge to bring everybody onto the same page and um, find our way through that. But we're doing our best to try to do that. More pictures of building relationships. <clears throat> Again, times of visiting and eating together and talking and trust that is being built. This young man here, I've blotted out his face. He is a young, single Afghan man that is very lonely and he spends every minute possible with our teachers that he can. He will call him up, teacher, can we go out for ice cream? Teacher, can we do this or do that? And I'm just going to call him Sammy. Um, pray for him that as we spend a lot of time with him, that he can see the light of the gospel. He's a single man. And I believe he's in his mid-20s. This picture here is right at the Eid al-Ada. If you're familiar with the Muslim culture, you may know that they have two Eid celebrations. 
The first one is right after Ramadan. The second one is about a month later when they believe that Prophet Ibrahim offered Ishmael. But because God provided a ram and Abraham, Abraham did not have to offer Ishmael. I'm going by their story right now. But provided a ram, so they too need to sacrifice. And so they have a big feast and sacrifice at the time of the second Eid. Here in Minneapolis, they actually have dubbed it Super Eid. This year they rent, they've been renting the U.S. Bank Stadium for their Saturday prayer and in time, um, this year there was 45,000 Muslims at Super Eid there in Minneapolis. So our students, or I'm sorry, our teachers took these young men here to a farm not far from Minneapolis and um, let them pick out their goat, their sheep. And um, they butchered it right in the farm, took it home, and that night they had lamb chops. What I'm going to share here next, I'm going to read from my screen here, is taken from a book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. If you are interested in the Muslim, I'll show you a picture of the book here shortly. For the most part, Eastern teachers have talked. The Muslims at the West is Christian, that its culture is promiscuous, and that the people oppose Islam. So the average Muslim immigrants expects the West to be promiscuous and enemies of Islam. When they do come to America, their cultural differences often cause them to remain isolated from Westerners. What is worse, some Muslims do receive poor treatment from Westerners and Christians. And this bolsters the notion that all Westerners and Christians are the same. On the rare occasion that someone does invite a Muslim to their home, differences in culture and hospitality may make them uncomfortable. And the host must be willing to ask, learn, and adapt to overcome this barrier. There are simply too many barriers for Muslim immigrants to understand Christians in the West by sheer circumstance. Only the exceptional blend of love, humility, hospitality, and persistence can overcome these barriers. And unfortunately, not many people make the effort. If they were to intimately know even one Christian who lived differently, perhaps, just perhaps, their misconceptions might be corrected. This is very challenging. So as you consider the pictures that I showed and the time that we are building with these the relationships, the time that we are spending with these Muslim immigrants, perhaps if they can learn to know intimately one, even one Christian for their misperceptions of the West and Christianity be corrected. I took that from this book here in the center, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. These are three books that I highly recommend if you're interested in the Muslim um, reaching out to Muslims, Radical Islam, How Would Jesus Respond by Gary Miller. It's a very short book. I think it's around 50 or 60 pages. This gives you a basic view into how Muslims see Christianity overall. And unfortunately, how Christianity looks at Muslims. The second book here, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. This man was a, grew up in a very, very devout home. By the time he was six years old, he had read out loud through the whole Quran. It's a very good book. It's a hard book to get through, but if you're interested in reaching out to them, I highly recommend you read it. It will give you an insight into their ways and how they think. Tales of Sumerkan is stories of Christians in Muslim lands. Again, I recommend it for reading material just to help understand them. 
the needs that we are facing at Art Ministry, first and foremost, pray for the work here. We have many questions and many things we're dealing with right now, and we do not know the way forward. We believe that God has led us here. We believe that God will make a way forward, but we do not know what that looks like at this point. Pray for our families as they support us and sacrifice their time. Pray for volunteers that they can be the hands and feet of Jesus. They face many pressures in the city. Um, not just working with the refugees. As they work with the refugees, they enter into their lives. They see their hurt. And they enter into that with them. Besides that, they're in the city. And there's much wickedness and evil around. So pray for volunteers. That they could be faithful. And they could be the hands and feet of Jesus there. Pray for our refugees. For the refugees. That they could find Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Son of God. The true Jesus that we know. Not the Jesus that they may be saw in the American army or that they see in Hollywood, but they can find the true Jesus. We need personnel. We would like to have a team, a full team right now would be four single fellas and four single girls plus house parents. And I think right now we have two single guys and three single girls. And we have one of our, the board members is filling in for house parents right now. Um, we have a real need for personnel. We'd like to have a six-month commitment from house parents, but we're very open to working with whatever we can find. Volunteers. TESO, teaching English to speakers of other languages, is great, but it is not a must. Unfortunately, a work like this does take funds. And um, it's not cheap operating in the city. So there is a need for funding. We would like to purchase a property in Minneapolis where we can offer more of these services. Again, that takes funds to do that. So those are those are the needs, some of the needs that we are facing here at Art Ministry right now. This is another branch of ARC. Our desire has been to work with refugees, not just the Afghans. And I want to be very, very clear this morning with what I share here. We have talked to other organizations, CAM, MIM, some of the other organizations that are in um, Ukraine, and they have asked us that we would not bring their people over to America. So we would definitely want to respect that totally. There is this website here, welcome.us, and on the American side, Anybody can fill this out and apply to be a sponsor for a Ukrainian refugee. On the other side, the Ukrainians that decide that they want to come some way, somehow, they don't really care. They can fill out on their side for a sponsor. And so what we are trying to do is simply connect people from the Ukrainian side that have said they're coming one way or another with Anabaptist communities that are interested in helping to provide housing, funding, and work for these people. So if you or your church is interested in that, you can reach out to us for more details on that. We've had people call us and say we want to we want to bring a Christian family over um, because, just to repeat what I said there, because the churches have asked us not to do that, 
We are not saying that none of these families are Christian families. They likely are not going to be part of a conservative church, neither the Anabaptist church nor the conservative of Baptist churches there. If you have more questions, feel free to reach out to us on that. As we consider this work, here's a picture and a saying that has really stood out to me over the last few months. We cannot force someone to hear a message they're not ready to receive, but we must never underestimate the power of planting a seed. And I'd like to show this picture. How long did it take that tree to split that rock? A long, long time. How long does it take the gospel message at times to split a stony heart? We are called to plant seeds. May we be faithful planting them wherever we go. Let God give the increase. You can subscribe for our newsletter and updates, arcministry.org. You can email us at info at artministry.org for more information. We do have a Telegram Cloudvale channel, Arc Ministry Updates. You can scan this code here, and we try to update at least every week on that. Just sometimes it's prayer requests, sometimes it's needs, sometimes it's just pictures from the day, maybe a little video, just various things there. So you can scan that code to join. think I'm done. All right. Thank you, Leon, for, for sharing this morning. And uh, so it sounds like there's a lot of uh, good opportunities there in Minneapolis. The next speaker is Bryant Martin. Uh, Bryant is actually part of the Strength to Strength team here, and uh, we welcome him to speak about Sewer's Harvest. He joins us from State College, Pennsylvania. Bryant. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Good morning. Yeah. Okay. So Sewer's Harvest Cafe. Interestingly, rolling on, you're talking about Afghan refugees. Just, just in the last two weeks, we've hired our first Afghan refugee uh, at Sowers, and uh, it seems like there's even more coming in the area. So some more, uh, more opportunities there. And so it's been an interesting um, cross-culture experience for us. <clears throat> we've had other cultures work there, but um, never Afghans. So um, that's, that's been interesting. So Sowers Harvest Cafe is a is a business. Uh, that my wife and I own, um, but it is it is a business that has has grown out of the burden to see um, the kingdom advance, particularly in urban areas, to see Anabaptists, to see kingdom Christians getting back into cities, um, bringing value uh, to their communities, and also using uh, having a platform whereby we can uh, build relationships and connections and counter uh, or engage a lot of different the worldviews uh, of our day. Um, Tim Keller has a quote. Um, as I think about um, the, the American church uh, and how, how are we going to reach the world uh, is a question that, that we've, we've grappled with for years. My wife and I have always lived in the city um, and uh, you know, engaging with people and evangelism and outreach. But the question is, is, is how, how are we going to see the world changed with the gospel? And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that the only way we can do that is by, um, it is not by using uh, past evangelistic, evangelistic methods, but by looking at our world, looking at the worldview that, we are, that we're engaging with, 
and just all the different things that are factoring into that. And and Tim Tim Keller says this. He says the Christian Church in the West. And by the way, Tim Keller is from New York City. He he planted a church in Manhattan um, in the last thirty years. He's an older gentleman now, um, but just still as a uh, talks a lot about evangelism and, and how we do that in our day. And he says this. He said the Christian Church in the West faces the first post-Christian deeply secular culture in history. It has not yet developed a way to do evangelism with the secular and the nuns, the non, the, non, the non-religious that really gain traction and sees many people regularly coming to the faith. The means will entail a mobilization of lay people in evangelism as in the early church. The context will show how to demonstrate to deeply skeptical people that Christianity is respectable, desirable, and believable. So how will will we see people transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son? And that's going to be through seeing the whole church participating in evangelism. And what kind of evangelism is that going to be? And he's saying it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to have to, to demonstrate to deeply skeptical people that Christianity is believable. And so that's why I care so much about hospitality. Um, that's why I care so much about daily hopeful hospitality. And I've spoken on hospitality before here on, on, on strength and strength. Um, that was more in the context of our homes. And, and how to use uh, just the mundane, normal structures of our lives. Um, but this morning, I'm talking. I'm going to be talking more about a, uh, a business platform um, where uh, where we can steward what I believe is hospitality um, in, in 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 business uh, for the advancement of the kingdom. And so, out of that has grown Sowers Harvest Cafe. And I'm just going to share my screen here. Um, and we're just going to go through some pictures and just talk about um, some of the so, some of the aspects of it of, of Sowers Harvest. So Sowers Harvest is about seven years old. Um, and let me see here. Uh, does this slide change there, Glenn? And right up front, basically, the reason for my talk this morning, my presentation, is we are we we're, we're, we're continuing to look for for workers um, at Sowers. Um, uh, daily workers, people who can be part of the team. Uh, and so we say be part of the relational team with an outward focus. Um, we have, you know, at Sowers, we have local people working there from the community, um, those who aren't even Christian. Uh, we have people from our congregation working there. We have people who move in from a distance and work for a season at Sowers. Uh, and then we also have those that drive in from about 45 minutes you know, there's different Anabaptist communities around that, that drive in. So, uh, we continue to have a need for workers. Uh, Sowers is a, is a, is a growing business and uh, with lots of opportunity there. So we're always looking for more, more workers. Um, so that we do have a need there. And also another, um, proposition, uh, that we, uh, that we, that we have to share is for future cafe owners. Um, does the work of owning, does the, does the, does owning a cafe interest you? Um, maybe you didn't know where to start, and we would be happy 
to help you overcome those obstacles. You can come join us for like a three-year apprenticeship and um, learn all the ins and outs of, of running a cafe and then move back to your community and, and start one there or move to the next city and be the spearhead for a, a kingdom church there. So that's, that's, that's my, um, that's my, my need. And uh, I put that up front here and then we're just going to move through and just talk about sellers a little bit and then wrap this up. So sellers harvest cafe is right in downtown state college, right next to Penn state university. Penn state university has about 48,000 uh, students. Um, here's some of the buildings, 700, you know, 312 buildings, uh, 54,000 students, 22,000 employees, uh, over a hundred different countries represented uh, at sellers. And so the, the world is here, um, at Penn State, right in the center, uh, of Pennsylvania. And after we arrived here and got our cafe going and the church was started here, it occurred to me that here sat a city right in Pennsylvania, kind of the Mecca, if you will, of the Anabaptist world. And, uh, there's no kingdom embassy, uh, here in this town. Um, very unfortunate. Uh, and, and think of, and I think of all the other cities with, with universities where the world is right here. We get to spend years with them and influence them for the kingdom. Uh, recently Coronation Cafe started up in, um, Massachusetts, uh, where Glenn is from, Glenn's Church, and it's right in downtown Amherst, uh, right next to a university. Um, and, and that, that to me, that's so exciting. There's, there's, there was not a kingdom, uh, represent, you know, daily, um, uh, proclamation there before. And so now, now that is there and that's really exciting. So Stowers Harvest Cafe, just a little storefront, not that huge. Uh, we have some outdoor dining there. Um, our slogan there at Stowers is naturally healthy cuisine served with a heart of welcome. Our vision, our destination, is that, um, is to be a kingdom embassy of Jesus uh, in State College. And our mission, our vehicle to get there is by creating a peaceful space to cultivate conversations that change the world. And so, um, we, we see our, our, our coffee, um, our food has really as this being the catalyst, uh, for conversation for connection, for communication there uh, at Sowers. And, and out of that, we, we see not only many connections being made with those of us who work there, but also otherwise. Uh, we live in a world that is becoming more individualistic, more lonely, more separate. And if I can be part of creating an environment to kind of bring people back together over food and coffee and, com- and conversation, um, that's that's fulfilling to me. And finally, our guiding principles is a relational team, um, extraordinary, extraordinary customer service, and quality local ethically sourced foods. We won't spend a whole lot of time on that, um, but we do believe deeply uh, with the relational employee team that if we can be doing well as a team, working together really well, which we have an open kitchen and we work right in front of our customers all, every day, all day, um, but as, as we really do well as a team, that can flow out. And it impacts people who come in the cafe and, and they talk all the time how um, it's so peaceful or you guys work together so well. And sometimes we kind of grin behind our hands because we know there's a lot of stress happening or whatever. Um, but uh, it is exciting to be part of a, of, of a team uh, on a mission, uh, really a diverse team. And um, so 
being part of sellers is not being part of a bubble. Uh, not only within the team is it diverse, but also obviously across the counter is quite diverse. And so we're looking for mature workers, people who can handle or who are up to the challenge really of, of, of engaging people and, and moving the, moving the, the gospel forward in a way that's winsome uh, to those around. Just some different pictures. Uh, Sowers is a very busy place. Um, uh, just, yeah, I, I could talk for quite a while in these pictures, but we're, we're going to keep rolling, rolling. Uh, a little bit slower morning at Sowers, so we have our slower times as well. Um, quarterly, we meet for a quarterly team meeting, so part of developing a relational team uh, that knows each other well when there's communication. Um, we, we have, we hold these regularly. Every morning we meet for a team huddle um, for 15 minutes. We talk about the, the team leader, talks about the day, um, the task needs for the day. We often share a little nugget or two, and we bow our heads for a brief prayer before getting into our day. Yeah, we meet there regularly for prayer uh, in, in the mornings early, and anybody who wants to join is welcome to be part of that. Uh, also, Sowers closes at three every day, so in the evenings we do uh, during semester, we do a culture night once a month where we have different of our international friends tell us about their country and culture. And that's always a very interesting time. It has it attracts quite a group of people and uh, has really helped us develop um, connections and relationships. And something we find interesting is when a person has told us about their country and culture, at the end, afterwards, one-on-one, they'll often ask us about our country and culture. And so we have to tell them about the kingdom of God and, uh, and who, who our king is, what country we represent. So some more pictures of cultural nights, um, lots of relationships that we're, that we're uh, actively involved in. Uh, this is just my family here with some Iranian friends of ours. Um, West, I've mentioned him occasionally on here, a radical Catholic student who we have... Uh, um, engaged in many, many ways. He's an, he's an apostle, Paul, um, or maybe, maybe we'll call him a Saul, um, but he's just zealous, absolutely zealous. So our prayer is that he would join a kingdom army, uh, here sometime. So, um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, we, we've used sellers as step one, uh, in a process, uh, of relationship building, um, daily, hopeful, Hospitality that will result in bringing people into our homes for Bible studies, relationships, services, um, and of course, with the goal of seeing them become followers of Jesus, of moving people on the continuum of a skeptic, as Tim Keller was talking about, to where they actually can imagine that, wow, Christianity is true. It's real. It's powerful. It's hopeful. Uh, it's flourishing. It's the answer for, it's the answer for the problems. And of course, that takes a long time, um, of planting seeds to see that happen. Just different relationships in our home. Thanksgiving dinner here. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, Leon, you mentioned this quote by Elizabeth Elliot and uh, I have it here as well. Deeply believe that. Um, sowing in seeds, uh, doing it in intentional ways through daily hopeful hospitality has a way of cracking cracking those hardest stones, and uh, we're seeing that happen and rejoicing uh, in that. So pray for us. Pray that 
that Jesus' light would shine forth in State College. Pray that we could be part of moving people along the continuum from skeptics to Jesus followers. Pray for strength for daily hopeful hospitality and ending on the slideshow. Um, continue partnering with us, whether just joining our team there at Sowers um, or maybe being part of a, of a kingdom franchise, if you will, of, of, a, of owning your own cafe and, and working with us, joining our team for a time to apprentice with us. We would love to talk about that. So that's all I have. Back to you, Glenn. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. All right. So that was, uh, that was great to hear. Thank you, Brian, for, for sharing there. And we'll, um, go to Jaron Miller. So Jaron is a co-founder of Anabaptist uh, Perspectives and he is uh, joining us here this morning from Pennsylvania. So welcome, Jaron. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Glenn. It is really good to be here. Um, like Glenn said, my name is Jaron Miller and my wife, Sarah, and I live in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and are members at Meadville Mennonite Chapel. I'm here to talk a little bit about Anabaptist Perspectives and introduce you to this ministry that God has given me an opportunity to work with, and also to share some opportunities um, that we have identified. The vision of Anabaptist Perspectives is to use digital media to encourage allegiance to Jesus' sacrificial kingdom. And the way we set out to do that is by describing and defending biblical elements of contemporary Anabaptist lifestyle and theology, promoting biblical, historical, and theological discussions about social and cultural issues, publishing a rich stream of natively digital media in a variety of formats and on a range of platforms, building and maintaining a rich online library, facilitating continued interaction around our content that includes both our audience and our content contributors. In practical terms, what that means is that we publish bi-weekly episodes and blog posts on our blog called Essays for King Jesus. These bi-weekly episodes um, are conversations or interviews that we have with people in Anabaptist and kingdom-minded churches around a variety of topics. We record these conversations and interviews and publish them on places like YouTube, Facebook, Telegram, and Cloudvale, our website, and most major podcast platforms. We also maintain the blog, Essays for King Jesus. Um, in many ways, it has content that is similar to that which we publish on our main channel with video and podcast but it is a distinct stream of content that um, addresses things that we're not able to on our podcast and YouTube channel. We're committed to the power of the written word. Um, the bulk of our energy goes into digital media, such as um, video and podcast, but we still believe in, in text. Um, a quote here from Marlon Summers, one of our board members. He says, today we read text from other millennia and other places. The best texts endure. Texts lend themselves to rereading, analysis, and discussion. Audio and video have their advantages, but that must not be a pretext to abandon texts. So we haven't abandoned texts. Um, we maintain a blog, and we're big advocates of reading um, things such as blogs and books. 
So our vision is to encourage allegiance to Jesus' sacrificial kingdom. And that it gets expressed in what we publish um, through the kinds of things that we publish. We publish testimonies of how God is working in and changing people's lives. We publish conversations about how God has worked in history. Or in some instances, um, as you can see on that thumbnail of a video, um, second from the left, about Mennonite Nazis. Stories about how God's people have abandoned him at some points in history. Um, we care about history. I think it's important, and we try to find ways with Anabaptist perspectives to shine light on instances in the history of how God has worked with humanity. We have episodes about theology. What should we believe about God, his church, his people, and his kingdom? We also have discussions about social and cultural issues. How can Christians, in light of their commitment to and allegiance to Jesus' kingdom, make sense of their environment? So these are four categories of the episodes we publish. Definitely doesn't include everything, but much of what we do falls into um, those four categories. We receive a lot of feedback by means of Emails, social media comments, YouTube comments um, from people who listen to what we publish. And I'm going to share two quotes with you that are representative examples. Here's the first one. I'm a former evangelical who found your channel after typing Anabaptist in Google. Currently, I'm a regular visitor of an Anabaptist church in New York State. I've been sharing your channel with Anabaptists and non-Anabaptists alike. Keep up the good work. Here's another one that is a bit longer. I wanted to take a minute and say thank you for what you are doing. I spent 29 years in the military and would have considered myself a Christian for 20 of those years. On my last duty station, I encountered a soldier who mentioned he and his family had been attending a Mennonite church. I didn't know anything at all about Anabaptists or Mennonites other than they were pacifists, and he didn't belong there. Honestly, I wanted to argue with him about it, but I thought it best to do some homework on Anabaptism before I engaged him. That night, I went out to the barn to work on my truck and pulled up YouTube videos about Anabaptism, letting them play while I worked. That was the night I was introduced to Anabaptist perspectives, and specifically Dean Taylor. God was about to seriously change my life. At the time, I commuted two hours one way to work each day. Over the following year, I would listen to videos from Anabaptist perspectives as well as followers of the way, strength to strength, etc., while driving to and from work. At times, they challenged me. At times, they offended me. But God was definitely working on me through them. If Anabaptism was true, everything about my life had to change. We found the only Anabaptist church remotely close to us, and I've been attending now for about seven months. We absolutely are in love with it and God's people. We are taking it slow, but God is definitely at work in our lives and hearts. So we have received comments or emails like this often, uh, perhaps regularly, and we're excited to see how we are able to play a small role in the way that God is working with people and helping them find a place in his kingdom. And like this individual mentioned, um, 
others, such as strength to strength, followers of the way, other kingdom-minded and perhaps people who have been doing an excellent job at providing this kind of content. And that has been significant to some people's journey um, toward um, closer walk with God in a place in his kingdom. So some opportunities that I have identified. Um, for Anabaptist perspectives, we have a team of people who can who can do the work like we have been doing, but we don't have the money. Um, we're funded by donations, and generous donors have allowed us to operate for the past four years. But in moving towards a sustainable position, we need people who share the vision and have financial resources to help us to continue to encourage allegiance to Jesus' sacrificial kingdom through the tools of digital media. We're currently in the middle of a $30,000 fundraiser that should keep us going for the rest of the year. So if you share a vision and have resources and are looking for a way to give, um, we would be open to your help. This can be done several ways. One is through our website, anabaptistperspectives.org. You can do a one-time or reoccurring donation there. You could also subscribe to Patreon, which is another platform for regular monthly giving. You can also um, sign up for our newsletters and the essays that we publish on our blog. I have a screenshot here from the footer of our website. So just go to the website, scroll down to the bottom, put in your name and email address, and you can sign up. The newsletters would come out perhaps roughly monthly. The same for the blog, usually once per month or sometimes two times per month. So if you subscribe, you could expect about two or three emails per month. Other opportunities, which are honestly the ones I'm most excited about, don't directly connect to Anabaptist perspectives. We have discovered the power of using the Internet and digital media and reaching people who other ways wise may not be. So I would encourage um, if your church is open to it, and if it's not, that is fine. Um, find other ways to contribute to God's kingdom. But a web presence for a church can be powerful. Um, we, we've been doing podcasting and videos. I found that to be effective in some ways. That's a lot of work, though. But even just a basic website can make a big difference. A website that has basic information about your church, contact information, meeting times if you want people to come to your public meetings. That can all be important in helping people connect to your church. We've heard from many people who were interested in Anabaptism and kingdom-minded churches for a while, but until several years ago when um, organizations like Anabaptist Perspectives or churches like Followers of the Way, Strength to Strength, Sound Faith, platforms like that, before, before they were available, many people had a much more difficult time finding good information about our churches. So the Internet isn't full yet. There is space for more. Another thing, which is a bit less of a modest proposal, is something that Bryant was just casting a vision for. Um, Planting churches. Through Anabaptist perspectives, we have heard from many people who are intrigued by what they see on our platform 
intrigued by the vision of the kingdom that we are presenting and would love to have an Anabaptist church or a similarly minded church in their area. But there is none. We've heard from people from the United States, but also all around the world who would love to have a church near them. So there is there's room for more churches and we would love to encourage um, to use Brian's words. New Kingdom embassies put up in um, new cities around the world. So that that is the end of my presentation. Back to you, Glenn. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jaron. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Anabaptist Perspectives has become a household name in um, very wide context. So uh, appreciate all your work in that. Thanks again, Jaron. And we're going to move on. So uh, the next uh, speaker and the final one this morning is Ernest Eby. Ernest Eby leads um, an array of um, church building initiatives, and uh, he joins us this morning from also State College in Pennsylvania. Uh, Brother Ernest. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Ernest Eby. My wife is Kathy. Yesterday we celebrated our 16th anniversary. We have two daughters. And we're part of the Followers of Jesus congregation here in State College, the same church as Bryant Martin. Uh, we're also the guest hosts and caretakers here at All Nations Bible Translation. And this year I'm finishing up my 12th year of service with Christian Aid's Gospel Billboard program. And after that, then I will no longer be involved with that program, but I'll still be encouraging people to get involved on the Billboard phone team even if I'm not involved myself. We have a family business that's called Plain News. We offer a web and email-based filtered news source. I have also directed the Church Planters Forum for the last eight years. So as you can guess, my passion for quite a number of years has been focused on evangelism, disciple-making, and church planting. The new initiative... I will be telling you about today is LifeQuest Community. It's a discipleship ministry that's focused on those who have not yet heard a clear understanding of the gospel. So I'll share my screen here. I'd like to begin by reading a few verses. The Apostle Paul writes this to the believers at Ephesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So these verses could serve as a motto for our disciple-making efforts here in State College, and they will serve as a backdrop for the rest of my comments this morning. Sometimes there are Christians who are looking for church fellowship, like Jaron just mentioned, and they're looking for one that has a more faithful or more historic expression of the Christian faith. Uh, These folks come looking for us or come looking for a church, and that makes it easy for us. But this is only a very small number of people who are going looking for a church. The rest of the world is going to keep going the way they are going unless we reach out to them and draw them in. 
there are those who are curious about Christianity or interested in learning more about Christianity, but don't know where to start or who to talk to. And these folks often need an invitation or a personal contact to get started. So some of us began holding regular Bible studies with non-believers here in State College in 2015. This picture shows some of the first people we had Bible studies with. Many of these people never heard of Noah or Peter or Paul. Many don't know of a country in the world called Israel, but that's not the biggest concern. Many of these same people never heard of their creator. They never heard of Jesus, the Redeemer. And so it's our joy to introduce them to him. I've been surprised and keep being surprised at how many people are interested in studying the Bible, but no one ever invited them to a Bible study or a Bible discussion. This is a picture of a sister who joined the kingdom of God about a year ago. She is one of those people I was just talking about who knew basically nothing of Christianity. And here's what she had to say after studying the Bible for a year and becoming part of the family of God. A year ago, I was in a very dark place with no light. Then your family came to me from where the light was and took me by the hand toward the light. At first, I did not know if I could trust you because I did not know where you were going, but I went with you. Eventually, I could start seeing a bit of light. This made me want to go toward the light myself. I think you're the light, but you tell me the light is God. So I make a decision to go to the light myself. Before you were pulling me along toward the light, now I want to run towards the light. Before I feel very different from you, now I feel, now you feel like my brother and sister. We are now a family. If I fall down or be blocked by other things, I know the light is with us and brother and sister are with us. I trust the light and brother and sister. I feel beloved and have the confidence to get up rather than fall down, down into the dark and into feelings of helplessness. I view the world so differently. My joy keeps getting more and more. And that was a year ago, and we've been having virtual Bible studies with her in her home country since then. And so I wonder how many more people living right around us could give a testimony like this a year from now. If someone invited them to their home, and once a friendship was established, then invited them to Bible studies. You saw this picture earlier. We live in State College, a few miles from Penn State's main campus called University Park. And people from over 100 countries come here. Every school term, there is about 54,000 students, 22,000 staff and all their family members and spouses. And we've been interacting with these different groups uh, the last seven years. If you're interested in hearing more about our interactions with international people and with the college students and our church planning work, I've done a number of episodes on Anabaptist perspectives, and you can go and listen to those. This wheat field next to us is owned and farmed by Penn State. The crops planted here are fed to animals that are owned by the university, and the crops that are fed to the cows get converted into milk. The milk is taken over onto the campus and made into ice cream. Nestled in among the trees on the horizon are the villages and towns of Hauserville, Lamont, Bowlesburg, and State College. And the people living in this area are the harvest field that God has called us to come here and serve. And every time we step outside our back door, this is the view we have of our harvest field. There are more people who are interested in regular Bible studies than what we have time to disciple. 
And so about a year ago, we began taking steps to form a nonprofit organization that will give oversight to our work here in State College and also provide a framework for bringing others here to help in this work. And we're calling our organization LifeQuest Community. Some of you may have heard of Francis Schaefer in the Labrie community in Switzerland that now has communities all over the world. Labrie is what inspired a number of us to attempt something similar here in central Pennsylvania. One difference is that we envision our community to be grounded in a more historic understanding of the Christian faith. Our long-term goal is to help people learn to know God then help these people become part of solid, faithful churches. It's our intention to make LifeQuest a place for honest questions, discovery, and disciple-making. Normally, we think of the local church as the place where evangelizing and disciple-making should take place. And I agree that this should be the normal way of going about it. But if you have a small church and a large audience that you want to reach, then there can be advantages in having a discipleship center where people can come to learn the Bible. The Discipleship Center teaches the Bible to a larger group of people with varying degrees of interest, and the local church can then focus on those who want to join the church. There are a couple of verses in the Bible that I never gave much thought to until just a few days ago. I was thinking about how the Apostle Paul taught, taught the gospel, and I remembered a school of Tyrannus where the Apostle Paul taught. So I looked it up, and here's how it reads from Acts 19. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So the Jews made life difficult for Paul, so he moved over to another school that was likely a pagan school, and there he taught the gospel. And after two years of teaching and reasoning with people, that resulted in two and a half million people hearing the gospel. That's by some estimates. So some of you may be familiar with the discipleship centers that Cam Christian Aid has had in Nicaragua, Liberia, and Greece. We're envisioning something similar here in State College. Our mission statement reads as follows. LifeQuest provides community, teaching, mentoring, and resources for people who are curious about or interested in the Christian faith, especially those with little exposure to the concepts of the gospel. And here's our purpose statement in two sentences. Help young and old learn to know God and how to follow him. Then disciple and equip them to contribute to the work God is doing in the world. And then on, then expanding on this, here's some of our goals. Uh, first, explain and demonstrate the claims and realities of Christianity to those who are not yet believers. Provide resources and a safe place for seekers to ask questions about truth, faith, and life. Clearly present the gospel of the kingdom of heaven as delivered to the New Testament apostles. Explain, just a minute here. Create an environment where God can add to the church, those who are being saved. Assist the local church in finding people who want to become part of the family of God and strengthen the faith and understanding of those who already believe but are looking for a more historic Christian expression and a better defense of the Christian faith. How do we at LifeQuest intend to go about accomplishing these goals? 
Here's a chart that shows the four different ways we plan to go about this. First, a campus ministry. We've already been doing this as a family, but we want to expand this. Uh, most people do not walk up to us and say, I want to be a Christian. They come to that conclusion after interacting with Christians. So things like ESL classes that we do on campus that are not particularly spiritual are to make it easy for people to interact with Christians before indicating their interest in spiritual things. We'd like to start a city study center. We'd like to have a building just across the street from campus where students can come to study, sort of a home away from home for students, a place they can go in and heat up a bit of food for themselves, uh, do their homework there, a um, place where the people can come for Bible studies and lectures. Then we'd like to start a discipling community. This is something we envision 10 to 20 minutes away from campus in a natural setting. We envision a number of residents for staff, as well as several guest houses on the same property or within walking distance of each other. And lastly, uh, we're wanting to produce resources and do training. We hope to produce some resources and make them available to the public. And then as people learn to know Jesus, we want to train them in serving the new people who come to our centers. We can train them in showing hospitality and teaching the Bible, etc. So there's many Christian study centers around the world today, and many of the staff who work at these centers first came to the center as a visitor who was simply curious or interested in Christianity. And someday we hope that the majority of our staff will also be people who first came to us as unbelievers. The lady I mentioned earlier hopes to do that someday. How do we make contact with people? This is a picture of our home. We started out having English classes at our kitchen table. We've also had picnics in our backyard, followed by a Bible presentation. And we have anywhere from 25 to 75 people showing up for these picnics. After the presentation, some from the group crowded around the table to get their own copy of a Bible and other religious materials. And again, this is the First time any of these have ever heard anything about the Bible or held one in their hand. How else do we make contact with people? This is a building on Penn State's campus called the Pascarella Spiritual Center. This big building has offices, chapels, and meeting rooms that we're welcome to use through a student organization. The downside of operating at a building like this is that all religions and denominations and lifestyles are free to use this building which can be really confusing to seekers. So this is one reason we would like to have our own study center off campus as God provides funds for us to do so. Here we are conducting an English conversation class at this building. I've also taught uh, Bible literacy classes at this building where we help people learn English by reading the Bible and they get to read it uh, in English after we describe some of the vocabulary that they'll be uh, reading about in the passage. We also have access to this Hub Robeson Student Center. This is a huge building. There's lots of restaurants and meeting rooms and study space in this building. Uh, this building serves tens of thousands of meals each day to students during the semesters. And here, through a student organization, we can set up a table, hand out invitations, do religious surveys, uh, have Bibles there available for people 
And this is where we meet lots of new people. Here's a house that a Christian brother purchased last week near State College. He plans to use it for short-term rentals and allow us to use it as a place for discipling purposes at various times throughout the year until we are able to purchase a property of our own. Well, hopefully that gives you a small picture into our world here. Perhaps you're wondering how you can be involved with this. So we invite you to partner with us. Pray that we will have divine appointments with the people God is drawing to himself. Pray that God will send us staff who are well-suited for this work and staff who are on a solid spiritual path. If you'd like to, you can sign up for our newsletter. Just send an email to contact at lifeq.org or visit our website at lifeq.org. And you can volunteer. We're looking for many different types of volunteers in the coming months and years. Uh, right now, there's need for some painting and trim work at the house I just showed you a picture of. There's also some remodeling work that needs done, and the owner of this house is willing to pay someone to help with that. If you have any time to help with any of that the next few weeks, please let me know. And if you're not available this month, you can also put your name on the list for the future. There will likely be some more remodeling projects this winter. We're also looking for ESL teachers and tutors. Uh, this can happen during the day, uh, during the evenings, or even on weekends. Uh, we're looking for hosts, hospitality hosts, uh, at our study space. This fall, we plan to use Sir's Cafe after hours. Uh, we're particularly needing somebody for Monday evening from 5 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m. Uh, we can use a greeter who meets and welcomes people as they come in the door. And then we need someone who can serve tea and snacks to the students who come here to study. Long term, we're looking for an operations manager, basically a business manager. We're looking for a program manager, someone to oversee the events and the programs we have to offer. And we're looking for an administrative assistant, someone to assist the director and the managers. So thank you for listening this morning. Thank you for adding us to your prayer list. And now we'll open it up for questions once Glenn is back with us. All right. Thank you, Ernest. And uh, appreciate that, um, that presentation there. Sounds like you have a lot of uh, things going on there. And that's uh, amazing. All right. So we're going to open it up for uh, questions. Uh, the question time here is going to be for any of the five speakers. We welcome you to uh, turn on your video and uh, unmute yourself and you can pose a question. So, yeah, uh, maybe just a question here to get started. Uh, Ernest, uh, bring this one to you. So oftentimes um, I've, you know, probably even in, in my in my own past experience uh, have been taught and have practiced myself um that the, the the that the way to invite people into the kingdom is you meet a stranger on the street and you say hey come to church and uh, if they don't you know um do that if they don't uh, immediately take that opportunity then we assume that they're not fertile soil so would you have any um critique of of that uh typical come to church uh method that you'd like to share why why it works or doesn't work or <laughs> yeah 
So I would, I would say that probably 75 years ago, uh, most people still had a church consciousness. And if you weren't going to church, you maybe thought you should, the majority of the people in the United States. But uh, anymore, most people in the United States do not attend church, or I should say the majority. And so some don't even have a, a background for even why you should attend church. And some of them are uh, hesitant about attending a church. It's something new. It's something they've never done before. Uh, something that uh, maybe they have some inoculation against from things they hear in the news and the media. And so uh, we, we tried doing that initially when we moved here to State College. We brought a lot of people to church, but it just wasn't a very good fit for them. Uh, for a lot of the ones that we were bringing, uh, either it was on a level that they were not uh, able to connect with or else um, the language barrier or something like that. And so they, a lot of them just prefer having Bible studies in a small group. Um, they like to interact with our church people, but they maybe don't get as much out of a church service as what people who grew up in the church would be able to get from a church service in our types of settings. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you. That's uh, very understandable. All right. So, yeah, just uh, opening up here now to um, um, the public, uh, to all of you in, in attendance. Any questions? Um, we welcome that. Go ahead. Question for Leon. Um, curiosity. What pro, what um, curriculum are you using for your ESL? And is that something that's um, pretty accessible or something you put together? Actually, um, Austin Lapp from uh, the college there in Boston. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Put it together for us. He's involved with the bridge there in Massachusetts, in Boston there. The first, the beginner curriculum is printed by Cambridge um, Printing Press. I don't know much about it. Austin put it together for us. I'm not real involved in that. So, but yes, it is available. If you would want more information, I could certainly get more for you. Um, Thank you. I'm under, I understand that CLE actually has a, a curriculum we're checking into that a little bit too but i don't know much about that at all but yeah if you want more information just uh reach out and i can try to get that for you for sure thank you for that and any more questions okay i i've got one um i didn't quite understand the uh situation with not bringing Ukrainians over and I wonder if you could amplify that more and kind of uh, explain the rationale behind it sure um, I get the churches don't really want their members to leave from Ukraine I guess there have been some that have left and gone to other countries and they feel like it has been detrimental to both the church life and the members that have left. And so if possible, the churches, the Anabaptist churches, as well as the conservative Baptist churches are asking their members to stay if possible. And so we simply want to respect that. And so we are saying we are not reaching out and inviting those people to come. 
we're simply trying to make a bridge for the people that say they are going to leave Ukraine one way or another and try to make a bridge for those people. So that is the rationale, I guess, that we're trying to work with. Hope that, hope that makes sense. Yes. Thank you. I don't know why I didn't catch that the first time around. It's okay. Thank you. Who will be next? If I could make a comment, plan on your question about inviting people to church. Go ahead. Um, so people ask me often, do the Muslims, are they open to truth? Are they open to coming to church? And I reply this way. If you were walking down the street and some random person walked up to you, invited you to come to a mosque, what would you do? You would say, no way, likely. It's the same if we're walking down the street and we come up to somebody, invite them to church. They're like, why would I need your church? And that's where I believe if we can build relationships, it's interesting. I think most of us, what we shared this morning, are trying to do that, build relationships. And then whenever there are people that have needs in their life and they're seeking, and as we build those friendships, they see that we have something that they don't have. And then they're open to coming to church and seeking further what that thing is um to the to the muslim people going to church is like condemned tremendously um i hope someday that if we have a church plant in minneapolis which we hope to that we can bring some of our muslim friends there but i expect it will probably be a long time and after bible study till they would actually come to quote church yeah, thank you for that. All right, so uh, what we've seen in the past from um, meetings like this is that much of the fruit comes after the meeting. So um, anybody here that um, is in attendance or if you're listening to the recording, if you want to reach out to any of the speakers, uh, James Yoder, Leon Smith, Brian Martin, Jaron Miller, or Ernest Stevie, and if you need contact information, you can simply reach out to us at Strength to Strength, and we can provide that for you. So I think we'll um, close. It is um, a little bit later than usual, a little little bit over time here. So we're going to um, just have a few announcements, and then and then we'll be uh, wrapping this up. So just um, comment here uh, regarding the schedule. This is actually an off Saturday. Uh, usually we have our Strength of Strength talks every other Saturday, and today is an off Saturday. We call this a, a bonus talk. So uh, next week, Saturday morning, we'll be back on the schedule. John D. Martin from Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, will be sharing with us a topic called Four Kingdom Cautions. And so looking forward to that. Uh, that is 6 o'clock Eastern time uh, next week, next Saturday morning. Thanks again all for joining us this morning, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, next Saturday morning, and Lord bless your day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.